morning, everyone. Um, today we're going to go through 1 Samuel 15. And uh, it's kind of a tie-in to Ruth, which is kind of cool. Um, last Sunday we had uh, Vern give the message on Ruth. And uh, 1 Samuel is right after Ruth. If I can find it. <laughs> A little bit of interesting information um, that I learned when I was doing this study is how um, the books of Samuel, first and second, and the books of Kings used to be one book, and um, they were then separated over time into Samuel and Kings, and then first and second Samuel, first and second Kings. Um, but last week we learned about uh, Boaz being the kinsman, re- the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and her family and Ruth, and uh, so now we're going to learn about Saul and how he's the king of Israel, and ultimately uh, the choices that he makes remove him from his line and the blessing that he's received. So I'd just like to pray. I, I, uh, Lord Jesus, I just ask that uh, you make me your mouthpiece, that you <coughs> give me your words, Lord, and uh, let this section of Scripture be an encouragement that we can all um, glean from. And uh, just thank you for this opportunity this morning. Just ask that you um, let there be nothing of myself in this, Lord, but but just you, Father. Amen. Um, I also wanted to thank everybody. Uh, I've received a lot of messages of encouragement and um, and lo- a lot of words. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for everyone who's been praying for me and for just um, you know, sharing those words of encouragement with me this week. I, I don't, wasn't able to respond to everybody because I was just busy all week, but I do want to thank everybody for, for doing that. Sorry, my throat is already parched, so. <laughs> okay. <coughs> I wrote everything down on a piece of paper here, just so if I got nervous, I could just read through it all. But I will try not to do that. Um, Currently, I can't see, though, because my eyes are watering. Uh, Okay. So I'm going to break this down into four parts. Disobedience, um, pride, self-deception, and uh, rejection, ultimate judgment. Um... First, I want to review some of the personalities that we find within this chapter. And we're reviewing again 1 Samuel 15. I'm going to go through the whole chapter. Um, the first character that we have is, I'm going to go over is King Saul. Saul is of Kish. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. 
1 Samuel 9.2 says, And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a ha- more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the other people. He was, he was quite a sight. 1 Samuel 9.21 tells us about Saul. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family of the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me like this? And this is basically uh, Samuel is addressing Saul. He's, he's wanting to anoint him as king. And just an interesting thing uh, about the tribe of Benjamin is they were almost completely destroyed, completely and utterly annihilated in uh, the book of Judges. And uh, 400 men were spared, and then they were given wives. So this is a small tribe, and it's, it's, it's why it's the least of the tribe of, of Israel, least of the tribes of Israel. But First uh, Samuel 10.24 also says, And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him? whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. So Saul was established as king over Israel after the people of God rejected God, just as is stated in 1 Samuel 8, verses 6 and 7. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So was it wrong for um, the people of Israel to have a king? No. Um, Indeed, it's God's plan for Israel to be ruled by a king. This is laid out in Genesis 35, 11, Genesis 49, 10. Numbers 24, 16 through 24. Also, uh, these all reference a coming king. And Deuteronomy 14, or 17, 14 through verse 20 specifically state, Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, and he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book, from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom and his children in the midst of Israel. So it was God's plan for them to have a king. Saul, however, is unwilling to be king at first, and he even, he even hides when Samuel seeks to appoint him as king. In 1 Samuel 10.22, it says, Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So he's very fearful at first. It's interesting, that same word hidden is the same one that we find in, in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve hide from the Lord. That he was afraid. So who else do we have? We also have Samuel. Samuel is the prophet of God. He's a judge over Israel. 
Samuel's the son of Elkanah and Hannah. He was given to the Lord all the days of his life. Hannah was barren and vowed to God to give, <coughs> to have God give her a son. If he would grant her a son, he would give that child to the Lord. It is written in 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 18. You can read this passage in whole for context, um, but I'm going to specifically refer to verses 11 and 17. Verse 11 says, And she made him a vow. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Samuel verse 17 says, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. Samuel is the prophet of God. We find this stated in Samuel uh, 3.20. And all of Israel, Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established the prophet of the Lord. So that's kind of the backstory here. We have Samuel and Saul. And uh, now I'm going to go through uh, the first nine verses can kind of be summed up in, in one word, I think. That's disobedience. Saul refused to obey uh, Samuel's commands, the commands of God. Verses 1 through 3 are where God gives his commandment. Uh, they say, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord send, uh, sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So the Amalekites are kind of notorious um, for what they've done to the people of, of Israel over <coughs> throughout history, basically. Um, they attacked without cause as they journeyed through Egypt. Um, God promised to punish them uh, when the time came. He said to them, uh, basically, destroy everything right there in, in, um, in verse 3. Uh, spare nothing. Notice that Samuel reminds Saul that he had been anointed king in, in verse 1 as well. And um, it was his obligation to obey God because he was anointed the king. So uh, in verses 4 through 9, we find that Saul disobeys those direct commandments. Verses 4 through 9 say, So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a, city, the, to a city of Amalek and laid in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from 
Havilah, all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So Saul, we find out in these verses that Saul spares King Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and everything that was good. Only the things that were utterly terrible and not worth keeping were destroyed. So why did, uh, why did God want the Amalekites dead? Who are the Amalekites? Um, they're descendants and followers of Amalek, who's the grandson of Esau. He's the brother of Jacob, uh, who's also known as Israel. In Genesis 36:12, it says, Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These were the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. So Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac, who's a twin. Uh, Esau, of course, gave up his birthright to his twin brother, Jacob. Genesis 25, 30 through 34 kind of outlines this. Um, it says, And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed, with, uh, please feed me that stew of red, uh, that, that <coughs> sorry, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob, Jacob said, Swear to me that as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew and lentils. And then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his own birthright. Esau was the one who sold it. And uh, he sold his birthright and with it, his part of the promise of God. He had been part of God's covenant people, he, but he valued his own appetite more. So the Edomites, Saul's descendants, of course, including the Amalekites, were people who had opted out in mass of the covenant that was defined, uh, that which defined God's people. They're not Canaanites. Israel was not a threat to them. Israel was not going to take their land. But the Amalekites really didn't like Israel. Um, Israel, when they came out of Egypt, and their first at, uh, at first they were most vulnerable for attack. Um, they got attacked by the Amalekites. Israel was forced to fight uh, their very first battle, fighting against the Amalekites under the leadership of Moses. God gave Moses a victory that day, and it, this is found in Exodus chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 17, verses 14 through 16 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this thing as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, and the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So this is, that's, what's being referred to in the earlier verses is this 
this time where Amalek came against Israel. They have, Israel has a lot of wars uh, in the time of Moses uh, to the time of, of Saul. They never once attacked Amalek themselves. They were never once the, the very first aggressor. The Amaleks, the Amaleks, uh, Amalek, 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 I can't even say this now, the Amalekites, sorry, attack Israel though several times. In Numbers 14.45, they attack Israel while they're still in the desert. In Judges 3.13, they join in with the Moabites in attacking Israel. In Judges 6.3, they invade Israel whenever Israelites planted their crops. And together with the Midianites, they devour the produce of the land and leave no substance in the land and no sheep, ox, or donkey. Later in Judges 6 and 7, they invade again and are fought off by Gideon. The Amalekites show the gen- that after generation and after generation, they're at war with Israel and with God. Now this time, God wants to fulfill his promise that is spoken in Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear. And when you were tired and weary, and he, did not, um, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from the enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So all these things would have happened, right? They would have already been known. The people, uh, Saul would have known these things. And... Uh, Saul still disobeys his commandments, though. So why does Saul do this? We're going to find out that he does it out of his own pride. So we're going to read verses 15, 10 through 11 now in 1 Samuel. Um, these 10 and 11 is kind of God's reaction. Uh, now the word of the Lord came to Saul, saying... I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. In this verse, it it really shows God's heart. It hurt God to reject Saul, and it hurt God's prophet to see him rejected. When we are close to God's heart, the things that grieve him grieve us, and the things that please God please us. God's heart was broken over Saul's disobedience. The man who started out a humble man and submitted to God eventually went his own way in disobedience. Disobedience is misplaced honor. When Saul had defeated the Amalekites, the first thing he did was build himself a monument, as we see here in Verse 12, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he, was, and he has gone around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. So Saul might have wanted to gain prestige 
by bringing home spoils of war of the Amalekites, uh, whether to find favor with God through sacrifice or to merely enhance his own wealth with the spoils taken. Either way, his mind is not set towards God and obeying, but in his own pride and accomplishment. Um, Verse 12 stated, he set up a monument for himself. Thus his honor was on himself and not on God. He turned his back from following God. Pride is defined as a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. The achievements of those with whom one is closely associated or from, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. Saul was not grieved over his own sin. Saul was quite pleased with himself. Uh, there's not the slightest bit of shame or guilt in Saul, even though it, he directly disobeyed the Lord. In the coming chapters, God will raise up another man to replace Saul as king. This is David. In contrast to Saul, he's known as a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. Even though David um, would also disobey God, um, the difference between him and Saul is great. David, uh, uh, David felt guilt and shame uh, when he sinned. Saul did not feel it. His conscience is dead to shame, and his heart is dead to God. Saul's heart was so dead that he directly disobeyed God in setting up the monument for himself on the occasion. Verse 13, it says, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed this commandment of the Lord. (laughs) It's kind of funny. He, uh, He comes to the prophet with such boldness, doesn't he? boasting of his obedience. (laughs) I have done this thing, right? He's totally self-deceived. This deception, he probably actually believed. You know, it shows it right there. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Pride always leads us to self-deception. How mighty. (laughs) How pride comes before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before the fall. And Proverbs 8.13 tells us, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. So what is uh, Samuel's response to all of this? In 1 Samuel 15.14, he says, But Samuel said, when, <laughs> what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Oh, this is interesting, yeah. They have brought them from the Amalekites. Changes his mind there kind of quickly, doesn't he? <laughs> For the people spared the best of the sheep. Again, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have, we have utterly destroyed. Samuel says to Saul, be quiet. <laughs> I 
And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he, and he says to him, speak on. I thought that was kind of interesting, like, like Samuel needed Saul's permission to continue to speak. Yes. Um, so the, lives, the livestock here also, uh, God clearly commands to be killed, right? But they can be heard and probably even seen in the distance. <laughs> and yet Saul says, I have performed the commandment of God. You know, all of these things, his, his pride and disobedience make him blind and deaf to, to what was right in front of him. Just like it makes us blind and deaf to our own sin. It's completely obvious to Samuel, and it's completely invisible to Saul. We all have blind spots in our own lives, and we need to constantly ask God to show them to us. Psalms 139, uh, 23 through 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So again, he says, they brought them. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. This is the first of the series of excuses that Saul gives to Samuel. He blames the people and not himself. Second, he includes himself in the obedience. The rest we have utterly destroyed, which we'll find out isn't necessarily true either. Third, he justified what he kept because of its fine quality, the best of the sheep and the oxen. Fourth, he claimed to do it for a spiritual reason, to sacrifice to your God. He doesn't even claim God as his own. In his pride and deception, this all makes perfect sense to Saul, but it means, uh, oops, I just sorry, sorry reading something I already wrote. <laughs> Um, so 1 Samuel 15, 17 says, So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And verse 18 says, Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. So this is the most obvious part of this whole sin, right? God gave him a specific command, to dire and he directly disobeyed it. Through the disobedience, um, though the disobedience was the most apparent, the root of Saul's disobedience is his pride. Samuel refers to this when he remembers when things were different with Saul, when you were little in your own eyes. Remember Saul started out fearful. He didn't even want to accept his own appointment as king, he hid from it. You know, he was little in his own eyes, but now he's big in his own eyes. His pride has made him bigger than, than his appreciation for God. Verse 19 says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on mission, which the Lord sent me and brought back Agog, the king of Amalek, and I, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
It's kind of crazy that he can say that he utterly destroyed them, yet he brought their king back with him. But the people took of the plunder, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the, of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. There he goes again. It's your God, Samuel. Saul first insists that he's innocent, but he also is deceived where he can say, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And then he immediately describes how he obeyed the voice of the Lord, saying he brings back the king. Saul's claim, I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, is plain evidence of the power of his self-deception. Here he is, he has an Amalekite right in front of him. And they're not utterly destroyed. But the people, the people, they took of the plunder. After insisting of his innocence, Saul blames the people for the sin, which is a lie. It was true that the people did take of the plunder, but they did so only following in Saul's example. Saul spared King Agag. And that allowance, because he did not discourage them, that's why the people took when they shouldn't. So it is kind of normal. Um, in the ancient world, armies were freely permitted many times to plunder their conquered foes. It was a way that the army was to get, it was almost how they got paid, through the plunder. But uh, this is wrong in the case of the Amalekites because it, it was an appointed judgment by God. Partial disobedience is complete disobedience. Saul and his men obeyed as far as it suited them. Um, this is not to say uh, they did not obey God at all, but their own inclinations, both in sparing the good and destroying the worthless, what wasn't worth carrying off. You know, they, they could have fully obeyed God. They could have fully destroyed everything as God had commanded, but instead they just destroyed what they wanted to destroy and brought back what they wanted to bring back. Verse 22 tells us, so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected you from being king. There's the rejection. God has removed his kingship. Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 14 states, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, one who conjures, conjures spells or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dis dispossess 
listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has appointed such for you. God viewed Saul's rebellion as disobedience in the same category as witchcraft. Witchcraft is a search of knowledge and counsel that ignores the word and counsels of God. So when you seek knowledge that isn't of God, whether it be your own, it's the same as witchcraft. You know, and that's exactly what Saul's disobedience is based on. God says one thing, and we say, I think I'll ex- I'm going to consult another source. You know, I'm going to consult myself. My, my ways are better than God's. We might as well be down, bowing down to stone statues at that point because we're directly disobeying God. We cannot serve God through methods of our own choosing. This is rebellion. Ultimately, this drives Saul mad and toward actually seeking the advice of a witch later on, we find. This is in uh, 1 Samuel 28, verse 16 through 19. He's come to a, a, a witch, and he's, he can't find counsel, and he can't find comfort in the Lord, so he goes to try to find Samuel. And uh, it says, So why do you ask me, seeking the Lord, uh, seeing that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke to me, for the Lord has torn your kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you in <coughs> Israel with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. It's big consequences for trusting in yourself over God, really. 1 Samuel 15, 24 tells us, And Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. There's the true nature of Saul there. It's revealed in verse 24. His fear comes out. Fearing not God, but the people, as it says. Previously, um, Samuel, it's stated previously in Samuel 12, verse 14, if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue to follow the Lord your God. And also in 1 Samuel 12, 24, it says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Saul, he continues to demonstrate that he feared the opinions of others over God's opinion, over God's commandments. He's really concerned about his own image, really. I mean, that's just it. His pride is 
is all about image for him, as we soon will see. Verse, uh, 1 Samuel 15, 25 says, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Verse 26, uh, But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. There's his, there's his rejection again. This rejection is final, uh, even though his reign lasts nearly 25 years beyond this point. But God is complete with this rejection. Verse 27 says, And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. This, of course, again, is a reference to King David. David will be raised up as king over Israel, and his line will be established forever through Jesus Christ. Matthew, the first chapter, uh, the first verse in Matthew tells us this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's his genealogy now is through David. Saul could have had this be him, right? He was given this, he was given this, but through his disobedience, he lost it. And now it's been given to David. Verse 29 says, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. So this is interesting. The strength of Israel, this confused me at first, but uh, the strength of Israel is actually a title for the Lord here in this verse. Samuel's telling Saul that this is permanent and there's nothing he can do to fix this. You know, in his pride, he might have tried to find a way around this, but it's permanent. 1 Samuel verse 1530 says, Then he said, I have sinned. Uh, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of the people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Here again, Saul demonstrates his concern for his own honor, right? Before the elders of Israel is who he wants to be honored. His concern is not giving God true worship, and he doesn't demonstrate a repentant heart. He's just concerned again of his own image. Verse 31, so Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agog, the king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agog came to him cautiously, and Agog says, surely the bitterness of death is past? He's kind of afraid at this point, right? <laughs> what Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. So Samuel hacked Agog in pieces before the Lord. Now this really kind of demonstrates Samuel's willingness to obey. He fulfilled uh, the word of the Lord in, in cutting up the king. And, and who knows what kind of picture that would have been. I mean, who's around watching this? You know, Samuel comes up to this guy as he's all, hey, we're okay, right? And he gets cut to pieces by Samuel. That would have put a lot of fear in those people. You know, they would have realized that at that moment, 
the sin that they committed by not fulfilling God's word. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house at Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So Saul failed to fulfill God's commands, so much that David himself actually ends up fighting the Amalekites again in 1 Samuel chapter 30. So the people aren't even wiped out. He didn't even wipe them out completely. He left not only the king alive, but he must have left others alive. And maybe it's when he gave the Canaanites mercy. You know, who knows if they snuck away at that time. All the people that stayed did get utterly wiped out, as it said. But others might have gotten away. Saul received a blessing from God in the same manner that Jacob received the blessing from his father Isaac. King rules over Israel just as the firstborn would be established as the head of a family through birthright. Though Esau was an unholy man and he gave up his birthright for a meal, Saul was unholy and he did not fear the Lord and rejected the commandments of the Lord. Thus he lost his appointment as king. As Esau pleaded for a blessing from his father, Saul also pleaded to be honored before the elders of Israel. Saul reigns another 40 years. He he reigns a total of 40 years in Israel. And God establishes David as his successor. Much of Saul's remaining years are, are full of fear and paranoia, torment, violence, madness, jealousy, He's terrified of his future death. He was told exactly how he was going to die. Esau, or, um, where am I? <laughs> so he was, a, he was a great man with lots of potential, but he dies in great shame, just as Samuel told him he would die. God allowed the Israelites to have their king, a king who was like all the other nations, which is what they wanted, because remember, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't just, it wasn't wrong for the Israelites to want a king, but they, they wanted a king out of their disobedience. The people of Israel wanted that king, and that's the king that they got, a worldly king. It's tragic, you know, it, They needed a king unlike other nations. They needed a king that would obey the word of God and not follow their own desires. A king that trusts in God and not himself. God raised up David to walk according to his ways so that he could eventually establish the line of kings whom Jesus Christ would come from. We're all sinful people, right? We all disobey. We have at times also blamed the things that we've done on others, right? It it wasn't my fault, you know? How many times have we tried to cover up our own sin? We make excuses, you know? It's my parents. They didn't raise me right. Or my siblings. Or maybe it was peer pressure, right? Maybe our sin comes, we try to blame 
the stress that we have at work, maybe for our anger problems or for the things that we go through. That's, that's it's a lie. How many times have we tried to cover up our sin using positive outcomes? It was to protect them. I lied to protect them. I had to speed here to get here on time. How many of us have done that? You know? We try to justify our sin through these positive outcomes, just as Saul did. But what is this? This is actually rebellion, which is like the sin of witchcraft, which is really arrogance and pride. Arrogance to think that we're going to be okay before God. That we can just walk up and say, I'm all good. I've done nothing wrong. This is exactly why we need Jesus Christ, though. We're trapped in our own sin. We need the true king, Jesus. The one king of Israel that never dishonored God, whose sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice. We need to humbly listen and to come in our sincerity and confess our sins. As 1 John 1, 8 through 10 tells us, if we say that we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We need to remember that Jesus Christ, he's our way out. That's all I have today, and I thank you for letting me speak with you this morning.